Here we are again on another edition of the ILC Podcast. My name is Brother Galen DeCosta. I'm here with Brother Bob Lee, our engineers, Brother Danny Torado, and we are here with Bishop Larry Booker and Bishop Sandy from South Haven, Mississippi. And we are so glad that you are here, uh, Bishop Sandy, uh, because uh, we're going to get to hear your story. We've gotten to hear you preach, and it's been wonderful. Uh, my wife just loved your style. She said, man, I really like him. <laughs> and so uh, she's not too hard to please. <laughs> but uh, we're so glad you're here. And uh, we were excited about getting to hear uh, a bit about your story, uh, your conversion, and uh, all that the Lord has done, well, as much as we can in the time allotted uh, for what the Lord has done in your life. And so uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Bishop Booker, say hello. It is good to be here with you all and be here with Brother Sandy. Brother James Sandy is a really great man, and we are very blessed to have him with us. Amen. How did you two meet? I would venture to say our first meeting would probably be at a Mississippi camp meeting. And so that goes back many years ago. I know at least 20, 25 and um, we just, we, our paths kept crossing through the years and they got narrower and narrower and closer and closer. And just, he's a neat man and I like neat people. Well, Brother Sandy, we are excited to have you here once again. And we're, uh, we're wanting to know, uh, how did you get started there? Was the call, did you start the church there in uh, South Haven? Yes, I did. Uh, my wife and I, uh, came to South Haven in 1972, and there was no church there, uh, not an apostolic church, and we didn't have, didn't know anybody there. We didn't have any money, we didn't have any property, we didn't have any people, but we had a big God, and the Lord helped us uh, to where we are today, a uh, very thriving wonderful group of people that are advancing the kingdom of God and Brother Nathaniel Urshan that has succeeded me as pastor is doing an incredibly great job and uh, we're just looking forward to greater things in the future. Well, uh, I'm sure the saints there uh, miss you, but as far as I know, Brother Urshan, uh, not too bad a, a replacement choice. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you started it there. Uh, where did you first get the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name? My family was not a church-going family. Uh, we didn't attend church at all of any description. Um, and in my, my dad, in, I think he was 58 years old, came home from work and someone had placed a revival invitation on our door. And quite unusual for him, he went in, got dressed, and went to church. That was, begin that was the beginning of our introduction to Apostolic Pentecost. Uh, he received the Holy Ghost, uh, was baptized in the name of Jesus, then my mother, my sisters, and eventually, uh, I was persuaded that I needed to go to church. I was uh, 19 years of age, and without any kind of spiritual direction or any kind of spiritual knowledge. And in a revival service, God touched my life, and I went to the altar in repentance. That was on a Saturday night. The next day, on Sunday, I was baptized in the name of Jesus. And some several days later, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That was uh, my life-changing experience from a person that didn't know anything about God, couldn't, didn't know anything about Scripture. The Word of God was a foreign book to me. I began to apply myself reading and studying and weeping over the Word of God and asking God to give me an understanding because others of my age would be far advanced in their understanding of the Word of God. But I made up my mind I was going to study and apply myself 
and learn as much as I possibly could about the Word of God and about living for the Lord. It was some probably couple of years later that uh, my wife and I got married, and uh, she has been a great influence in my life. She received the Holy Ghost at the age of 13, and so she was uh, somewhat advanced of where I was as far as the Word of God is concerned. And then um, one year later, we had our first son, first child, and I was persuaded by a minister that I respected at that time to go to college, Bible college, where I could be more, uh, have a more in-depth study of the Word of God. I understood that when I got there, there would be those in my class that were probably reared in Pentecost. But I made up my mind I was going to outstudy them, I was going to outwork them, and they weren't going to advance too much farther than I was. And fortunately, God blessed, and four years later, I graduated from Texas Bible College, and I graduated with honors. God blessed. <laughs> so just through a hunger and a desire, you just went in there and dug it out. That's great. Uh, how long after that, after graduation, was it before you felt a place, a calling to a place? Well, I had, my wife was actually from Memphis, and South Haven is a suburb just across the state line from Memphis. And so there was already somewhat of a connection with the metro area of Memphis. And I began to talk to my pastor that I was attending the church in Houston, Texas, Brother O.W. Williams. And I began to talk to him. He was actually from Western Tennessee and had attended church at one time before going to Texas in Memphis. And he and I had conversation, and I felt the leading of the Lord, divine direction from God. And so we decided we're going to move. We're going to step out into the water, so to speak, and see what God will do. And so we moved to the metro area uh, and began to try to find a place to have services. Uh, originally, we started meeting in an auction building where we would go in, set up chairs, a pulpit on Sunday, take the chairs down, move the pulpit out at the end of service. And that went on for a while while we were trying to put together a, a group of people. Uh, we started teaching Bible studies. Uh, we started knocking on doors. We started handing out tracks. My wife and I was walking up and down streets and meeting people and talking to people. And eventually, we began to have a nucleus of people uh, that was coming. Uh, we found property, uh, built the first building. Uh, and then uh, about three years later, we built the second building. And then we sold that property uh, and, and moved to over, or actually rented a facility, and then we moved over to where the, currently the church is now, and we built the sanctuary, and then we built the Family Life Center later. And God, when I look back, I can say, you know, God is great, and God has done great things. And when you're working with the Lord, you're in partnership with Him, he never fails. And so if we stay in conjunction with him, everything is going to be all right. Well, let me ask you this, Pastor Sandy. Uh, when you first went there, were you a working, uh, were you a working pastor? Yes. I was working. I uh, had a secular job. actually worked in Memphis, and we worked for about seven years, I believe, at a secular job. And then we had enough people that we kind of felt like that it was time for us to step out, go full time, and we did. And God has blessed us, and we haven't looked back. 
So for seven years you worked and built work and worked the vineyard also. And uh, <clears throat> did you, what were, what were some of the struggles in that during that time? Well, originally, when you don't have a facility and you don't have any people, then pretty well the responsibility is totally on your shoulders and your wife's shoulders. We had to be the janitors. We had to be the uh, custodians. We had to be the groundskeepers and uh, and and virtually everything else was on our shoulders. And it becomes a tremendous relief when you find faithful people that you can eventually start assigning duties and responsibilities. And the burden begins to be distributed then in the congregation instead of it actually resting totally on your shoulders. Uh, financially, it was, it was pretty difficult to begin with. Uh, even though we were working, we were also responsible for whatever the expenses of the church was concerned was. Uh, all the advertisement that we did, the printing, everything was our responsibility to pay for it. And so the struggles financially at the beginning were somewhat severe, as well as the physical demands on us, working a full-time job and then trying to uh, reach out and teach Bible studies and, and try to find people that are interested in coming to the house of God and praying through. It was always a tremendous, beautiful experience when we baptized someone, they received the Holy Ghost. That's the, the new babies in Christ. Uh, Bishop, let me, I got a question for you. So you've pastored there for 45 years. Can you maybe talk about those first few years of pastoring versus the last few years and kind of like, like uh, maybe your style or, you know, we all, all have issues and stuff that sure. go back thousands of years, but there has to have been some big differences between those first Well, there's tremendous life. difference from the beginning and the last years of our life or our last years of our, our pastorate there. Um, it was almost like difference between daylight and dark. I mean, you got, you have nobody and you are totally relying upon yourself. You're, you and your wife are doing virtually everything. And then the last years of our life, we had a good congregation of people. We had faithful people and we have people that were assigned different responsibilities and they shouldered the burden. So it was tremendous difference the, from the beginning to the uh, last years of our pastorate there. I would say to any young man that is thinking about starting a church, recognize that they must have a good mindset. Uh, they're gonna have to realize that Rome wasn't built in a day and a church is not gonna be built in a week or a month or a year. Uh, so they have to have a good mindset hey, I'm here to stay, I'm here for the long haul. No matter what the struggles are, we're gonna make it through it and we're gonna establish a church for the kingdom of God. Takes a, takes a long time to get a gate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I wanna jump in real quick. Sorry, Dan, uh, Brother Galen. Uh, so 54 years of marriage, okay. So in this room, we got several people who've been married maybe 20, 30 years. I had a coworker, the other day, say something. He'd been married thirty years. It took him four wives to get there, but uh, he didn't. He did get there. Uh, but to stick with the same spouse for fifty-four years—that's quite an accomplishment. You don't—that's almost unheard of these days. I mean, there's a few in the church, but uh, tell us how you do it and some good advice for us young well, people. Well, I sometimes say this: I believe in one Lord, one faith, and one wife. <laughs> okay. So, my wife and I. Uh, it's it's not easy. There's there's always difficulties. Anybody that says that they have total agreement over everything, uh, I wouldn't trust them with some other decisions in life either. <laughs> there's difficulties. There's no two people that come from different backgrounds, uh, different uh, family environment, 
and they get married and suddenly they are put together and become the nucleus for a new beginning. They, there is struggles, there are difficulties, there are discussions, there are arguments, uh, but through it all, you have to come to the conclusion, hey, we're a team, we're working for the same thing, we're going in the right direction, and we're gonna arrive at our destination. There may be some bumps in the road, there may some, be some uh, sidetracks, but if you have that objective that we're gonna make it, regardless of what we're confronted with, we're gonna make it. That's where we are today, 54 years later, and uh, we are still going strong. Four years. I have to say, my wife is a tremendous lady, a praying lady, and that has made a lot of difference in our marriage because she is a praying lady, and she loves the Lord, and she has been a tremendous helpmate to me in the ministry. That's wonderful. Um, so I think, uh, Bishop, you touched on it, uh, um, Bishop Booker. Uh, so how did you two uh, meet again and, and uh, become friends? And any good conferences preached together over the years? Well, as I mentioned, I think our, our opening days were uh, at the camp meetings in Mississippi. And um, Brother Sandy was a member of the district board for how many decades? 33 years. 33 years. And so uh, that immediately put us into closer association. And, um, and then he later became the district superintendent of Mississippi. And um, I was just always impressed with Brother Sandy's good sense. I, I, doesn't mean that everybody's silly, but there's some folks that have more sense than others. And he was just a, uh, a very solid, very steady, and he always fell out on the myriad issues of life, as it seemed to me, on the right side, meaning he thought like I did, <laughs> which is not fair, I guess. But But obviously you're attracted to people that... Yes. that think like you do and feel about the kingdom like you do. And so that just made a, a, a natural affinity. And then as the years rolled by and uh, hosts of events, uh, we just kind of got th thrown into the same sack together. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. Let me say this. Uh, the first time I believe that I met Brother Booker was at the Mississippi camp, and I didn't know a whole lot about him, and I know he didn't know a whole lot about me. However, I bought his books uh, about one, his life story, and the other, the difference a line makes. By the time that I read through that book, his, his first book of his life, I began to know more about him than I'm sure that he knew about me. Until by the time I read the other book, The Difference a Line Makes, I could almost say, well, I've known Larry Booker all my life. <laughs> but uh, there is a camaraderie that has developed between Brother Booker and myself uh, because, yes, because we do uh, have a lot uh, of agreement uh, where we position ourselves on the Word of God, and that has made a world of difference. I consider him a great theologian uh, and a wonderful friend. You know, the, the, the comment you made earlier, just uh, when you first got in the church, diving in, studying it, and just digging into the Word of God just reminds me so much of your roots and yeah, I could just see you with your big chief notebook and uh, just wanting to absorb it all. I don't know, Bishop, if you went to Bible college or not. I don't 
think, but anyway, but but just the the, the study habits you had, and, and that right there, I think right from the beginning, you guys had, you know, that common. Ground. I mentioned this, I think, in preaching on Sunday, that I was so green, I knew nothing about God, about living for God, uh, but there was a hunger in my life that wanted to develop, and uh, the first Bible that I got was a big huge Bible. It would be like those that you find on the living room coffee table of a lot of people's houses. I didn't know any different. You know, Bible is Bible. I thought, you know, the bigger it is, the better it is. So, <laughs> so I, had, I had that big Bible. But I can assure you, there's a lot of tear stains that was on the pages of that Bible. When I would come in at the end of day and pick that Bible up, and it was, you know, it was a foreign book. And suddenly, you know, I, I began to intercede to God, please let me understand. Let me understand your book. And I would weep and tears would fall on the pages of that book. And that was my beginning of my love for the Word of God and what God's Word can do in the life of a person. Do you still have that book? Y you know, there is a possibility that it is packed up somewhere, <laughs> but uh, I've got a lot of books, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it is uh, packed away uh, at our home. Uh, that's well, if you, you could sell it, I'm sure we could auction it off for a lot of yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> well, buy the truth and sell it not, so you can't yeah, do that, that's right. absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's wonderful. So the hunger is just amazing. Uh, hopefully, well, I think it's passed on in your style of preaching and what comes across. Yeah. It shows up. So that's beautiful. I think, um, you know, everything in life is a trade-off, and everything in life has its advantages and its disadvantages. And uh, all of us in this, this, the five of us in this room, our first-generation Pentecostals. And um, one of the advantages of that is, is you don't know anything. And so the very fact you come to God, and, and we were all so ignorant, it was an exceedingly easy pool, in a sense, to dive into because everything was so brand new. Now, it is also a distinct advantage to be raised in Pentecost obviously sure because you don't we had to peel away a lot of the onions uh, in our lives in order to 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 get saturated with this whereas people that are raised in good churches with good families that's an advantage but the number one uh, entity that has to be in every child of God whether they're first generation or second or eighth is a hunger. And if people have a hunger, everything's an advantage. If you have a hunger for the things of Amen. God, that's what makes the difference. You know, going, going back to that, I know um, when I first got in church, it wasn't here in Rialto, it was up in, in, in Merced. Um, but one of the big things that I look back and I think was helped me was, was Bible studies and having, the, it was a pastor's son, um, who taught Bible study? So he'd come to my house. He'd come to my work during lunch hour, and we had a, my wife and I had a hunger, and uh, I think that was key. And because you know, I was I was, I guess the what do you a denominal Christian before yes. off and on, but I was I was I was one of those that would you know drink on Saturday night and then not go to church on Sunday because I was too hungover. But I go on Sunday night, you know. But and everything that was okay. I made yeah. it once a week. Um, but getting the Bible study and getting that hunger once I find, once I got baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost was I think that was key. It was just really getting in there, and then everything it all made sense because no nowhere else did, did they really teach you anything. I asked somebody once, what well, what is the Trinity anyway? Their answer was, well, it's too complicated. Just just keep coming to church and don't worry about it. That was the answer. Yes. Okay, and I, and I didn't. And I'm, I'm probably glad I didn't because I never got, you know, somebody that really thought they knew what the Trinity was, never, like, you know, grounded me or something, so I didn't fight it. There is only one God, it, it, you know, so. I recently read there was a man that was giving a warning to 
his fellow Trinitarian and, and the people in, about oneness people. And he said, you have to be very, very careful about their doctrine of one God because it makes so much sense <laughs> that it's alluring. And I cracked up <laughs> laughing. I thought, the, the doctrine of the Trinity makes so little sense that it is confusing. <laughs> and the doctrine of one God who robed himself in human flesh is wow. beautiful and it is sane. So thank God for truth. Thank God for it. When you were uh, young, did you have a lot of evangelists come by uh, it, at the church you began? And well, first of all, uh, when you first got in church, were there a lot of visiting evangelists or ministers? And then after starting South Haven, did you bring in a lot of evangelists? Originally, the church that I prayed through in was a very small Pentecostal church. Uh, occasionally, there would be guest ministers that would come, uh, but it was not, I would say, very often. Uh, when I was in Houston, I was attending Brother O.W. Williams' church, which was a tremendously outstanding church at that time. Uh, a church that ran, that was in the late, in 69, it was running 500 uh, in church in Houston. And there was a good flow of guest ministers that were coming uh, in preaching revivals, be preaching weekends. And so that was, it was totally different from what I was originally born into to what I was at the time that we were in Houston. Then as a pastor? As a pastor, I tried to have guest ministers as often as I possibly could afford. Um, that meant that I had to foot the bill uh, for them. But we had some great preachers that was a part of the building up of our church uh, their ministry was uh, tremendous, a blessing, and I never regretted the fact that we had to put most of the money in for their uh, for their uh, expenses as well as for their offering. Uh, and then, as time grew on and the congregation grew, we made it a practice of having different style ministries, some that would be teaching type ministries and others that would be evangelistic type ministries. And I think it takes both of these in order to grow the congregation properly. Excellent. Are there in uh, Bishop Booker, Bishop uh, Sandy, are there any voices that stick out in your mind that you could say you still hear them? They may be gone. Uh, but when you think back, are there any voices that still speak to you today? Yes, uh, there's quite a number. Uh, one of the facts that I look back and see that men that were seasoned men older than, than myself and the effect that they had on my life, one of them was a, a preacher by the name of Hewlin Meyer. Uh, when I met him, uh, he was uh, he was pastoring, but he would often come and preach for us. But just beyond preaching, there's so many times that the phone would ring, and he'd say, "This is Brother Meyer. Uh, give me a report about South Haven." Uh, there are others that became uh, Nick Hush, uh, would call on a regular basis. Uh, both of them are gone, uh, deceased now. Uh, and so that's kind of a synopsis of the fact that yes, there are those lives that still are reverberating in my being, in my thoughts, and I, I, I appreciate them very much. Uh, a tremendous friend of mine was Reverend G.R. Travis that was superintendent in Mississippi for many, many, many years. 
very close to him. We became very good friends, and I I miss him tremendously, uh, along with many others. So nobody lives to themselves and nobody dies to themselves. There has to be an input uh, of people into a person's life. Um, I totally um, agree with Brother Sandy, and there are voices. I remember when I was pastoring our first church in Miami, Oklahoma, and I was uh, 24 years old when I began pastoring, and I distinctly remember going to God in prayer not just once or twice, but many times, and, and, and stating to God. Now, of course, my pastor, Brother Roy Moss, loomed huge in my life, um, um, all through my life. Brother Gary Howard was my brother-in-law, and he affected me profoundly. But I, I, I just, I remember praying, and I said, God, I know there are there are ministries, there are men that I'm supposed to meet. I know that. And so I'm asking you to direct my steps. Please let me meet the men that you know I'm supposed to meet. Turned out it was men and women. And even at that time, like uh, Sister Marilyn Chenault that was, that was here, most of you met her, a uh, profound a uh, woman of God, and she would never, ever in a million years tell you she was a prophetess, ever, but she was. And um, and then when we were on our way out here, I promised my wife we would be here three months and go back to Oklahoma. To We had revivals back that way, and she thought we were going to starve out here. And we were driving across that big desert, and we said, wouldn't it be nice if while we were out here, we could just meet Paul Price, just meet I.H. Terry, and just meet Vaughn Morton. That's all we wanted to do. We would just be so honored to meet them, never dreaming that we would develop profoundly deep friendships. And so men like that and, and others, the, the, the impact that they have in your life. Old brothers like, uh, Brother Mark Boffman, yeah. um, and as I, I was telling Bishop Sandy the other day, um, Henry Ivey, and he knew Henry Ivey. Hardly anybody knows who Henry Ivey was anymore, but his effect on me for study was unbelievably profound. So uh, now I'm 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 uh, I'm no spring chicken. And I find myself now praying literally, Jesus, there are young men I'm supposed to meet. You know who they are, where they are. You guys are some of them, obviously. And, and I'm praying that way because, you know, the ship comes in, but the ship goes out. And the tide comes in and the tide goes out. So now I'm, I'm praying that some of the good things God put in me, I can help some others with. I, I distinctly remember uh, the largest voice for me is Paul Price. I was, Unbelievable. He was superintendent while I was a new convert. That's, I'll never forget him saying, I don't care what I hear, I don't care what I see. All I want to know is what does the man preach? Yes. And it never leaves me. I always hear that. And there are others. Bishop Larry Booker's message uh, always speaks to me, what a difference a line makes. I don't know if it was called that when I first heard it in PSR, but I just remember the effect it had yeah. uh, on me. I hear that one, of course, Brother Morton. I'm a Western District product, so everything that was out here. But I do appreciate uh, recently listening on Holy Ghost Radio, uh, Brother Urshan. I never got to hear much of him out here. I'm not sure why. <laughs> my wife she did she grew up back there in Ohio so she heard him a lot and, uh, he sounded like a tremendous man Very these tremendous. voices are tremendous how about you 
Well, you know, I haven't been in church that long, so, um, but uh, I'm just thankful that, uh, um, you know, I don't want, you know, well, I'll pat my bishop on the back. He's been my main pastor for 22 years now, um, and he's the best. And having and what I appreciate most is um, from not growing up in church. Uh, I was 33 years old when I first got in, um, but having the caliber of a bishop that I've been fortunate enough to have and his friends, like Brother Sandy, and I was fortunate to hear uh, Brother I.H. Terry, he, when God goes to school, or, you know, with the message <laughs> yes, taught here, and Brother yes. Morton and, and some of these others. So uh, I didn't know them growing up. I didn't hear them growing up, but I was fortunate enough through through uh, my bishop here, a pastor, that, uh, you know, be fortunate enough to hear them. And so that's been exciting to me, you know, just the you know, I, I, this is probably a terrible analogy, and I'll, I'll be the first one at the altar tonight if I have to. Um, but you look at, like, sports heroes like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig yes. and some of these great names. I have no idea who's playing nowadays. I'm yes. not, I don't watch it like yeah, I used exactly. to when I was younger. But but I don't think there are those people there. And so here I want to kind of lead to this next one about the direction of the ministry now. And are are there some young people right now, and like you said, as ship comes in, ship goes out, that are gonna take the place of some of these the great ones like that? You know, you know, does that, does that make sense? Yes. You know, yes. are there some coming up that that my grand? I have a two, uh, one half year old granddaughter. When she grows up, it's gonna think, wow, man, I got to meet Pastor Joel Booker. He's one, <laughs> and people just go gaga over him. You know what I mean? Yes. So, are there some like that that you think that are gonna? I mean, is there hope for us younger? <laughs> I'm not younger now either, but well, I think you get a real. Uh, insight in that if you go to a peak conference and you listen to those young men That's true. that are 40, 30, even in probably early, late 20s that are preaching and they preach with such a love for the Word of God and such a burden that it relieves my heart to know, yes, there are some men that are coming along. <laughs> To say that there are men that are going to take Brother Ike Terry's place or Brother Von Morton's or whatever, somehow we think, you know, there's nobody that is like that. But right. as I said the other morning, if, if they were writing the book of Hebrews and writing chapter 11 again, there'd be some men that are living right now that they would say, by faith, and one of them would be your bishop, uh, by faith, Brother Larry Booker, that forsook the world and turned his life around and has made a tremendous mark in the apostolic movement. But yes, there are some young men coming along. Uh, Brother Nathaniel Urshan oh, is yes. one of the finest preachers that you'll find today. And there are, there are others of that caliber that is coming on the scene. Yes, don't fret. Somebody said the church is going down. Oh, no, it isn't. There, it, has, it has plenty of stamina left for the last mile of the way. Amen. And I totally agree with that. And there's times, you know, every, you look around and say, you wring your hands, God, what's happening? What's going to happen? And then, as Bishop Sandy says, you go to places like Peak and you're seeing young men, not just there, but other places that are stepping up to the plate with um, powerful burdens. And, and it, it, they're anointed, they're familiar with the word, they're blessed, but their burden is so deep and so profound. And, and that, that it really is, um, it is, it is a comfort. And um, this is a tacky, 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 tacky way to put it, but the kingdom has always had winners and losers. All the way, you read, you read from Joseph and his brothers all the way to today, all the way through the epistles. It's, it's, it's always there, but thank God it's always been there. And one of the bleakest, darkest times, if you think about it, Israel, they're carried away captive. Israel, Jerusalem's destroyed. And and 
And Nebuchadnezzar is in the process of indoctrinating an entire generation. But God raises up a Daniel and a Meshach and a Shadrach and a Abednego. And those four, in their own way, change the course of history. So he's always going to have a church. He's always going to have a people. And some of these little rugrats that we see around this church and some of those kids on the bus, there's no telling. There's no telling the potential that's wrapped up in that. That's right. You never know. You never know. You never know. Uh, okay, as we wind it down, uh, one of the questions we'd like to ask is uh, some favorite books you might have. And Bishop Sandy, are there any other than the Bible and other than Journey of a Lifetime and other than What a Difference a Line Makes, are there any books that you... Good well, plug. Good those, plug. Thank you. They, <laughs> these would be at the top of the list. <laughs> but there is a book that uh, I was I taught young ministers that felt their call into the ministry for many years in Mississippi uh, annually whenever they would want to get their ministry started and be licensed. One book that I recommended uh, that was written by a man by the name of Gene Edwards is called The Tale of Three Kings. Uh, I try to read that book still. I try to read that book once or twice a year because it has tremendous value of what, how that you can handle your life and that you can maintain your integrity with God regardless of what is going on with others that are around about you. The Tale of Three Kings had a tremendous effect on my life. Is that one that you like to give to Friends, or you just recommend it to ministers in class? I recommend it to you to any time that I was teaching a class for ministers, I would recommend if they didn't already have that book, they needed to buy it. Mm. It's been on the recommendation list. And I would say that book is really, it's a must read for every preacher and for every saint, every child of God. It, It doesn't hurt for kids to read it. I mean, it's, it's a, phenomenal, insightful, uh, profound book, very much so. One of the things that a minister, especially if they start having some success, and we're still human, you have to battle ego. This book will take and put a damper on your ego and let you know exactly how you need to conduct your life and going in and coming out. Mm-hmm. Bishop Booker, do you have a recommendation? Um, a favorite? This is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a recommendation here, and I'm so loath to do so because I covet the book so much that it's like this is such a sweet secret. I hate to give it. <laughs> <laughs> The advantage is it's a little bit hard to find, but now with Amazon and Google search, you can find them. Um, there's a there's an author. He's a Jewish author. To my knowledge, he only wrote one theological book. Everything else was uh, his name is Maurice Samuels, and he's a great author. Uh, very very clean, very insightful, very good writer. But he wrote a book called Certain People of the Book. Mm. And um, so I'll let this little cat out of the bag. (laughs) Um, I have preached around the country and places about uh, the doctrine of Balaam. And I would venture to say that 90% of everything I've ever taught about Balaam, I got from one chapter in that book. And it was a chapter called Perverted Genius about Balaam. And Balaam is an enigma wrapped up in a riddle. But by the time uh, Mr. Samuels gets done dissecting him, I'm telling you, he dissects him down to the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and intents. 
And there's no more mystery left about Balaam when he gets done with him. So that's Maurice Samuels, certain people of the book. And it's just simply one of the, uh, and that's the best chapter of the book, but uh, there's so many other things. King Ahasuerus, the king is a fool. Uh, I'll throw this little out. Here's this king. He calls his wife Vashti. She won't come. Before he does anything, he's taking counsel of all the wise men of the kingdom. What am I going to do? And they're 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 taking this all the way out to the far realms of the kingdom. You something's got to be done. Her attitude's going to affect this entire media Persian empire. So he do, so he does that, and he comes up with Esther. Meanwhile, the same man, Haman, comes and says, "You know, there's people in this country that." in this nation that they don't obey your laws and I'd like to see every one of them dead. He says, sure, he takes his ring off, hands it to him, so go kill him. He doesn't ask anybody, he doesn't check it out, he doesn't realize he's married to a Jewish woman. And so one minute he's so wise and giving such forethought, and another minute he's gonna wipe out God's people without even blinking an eye. So that little chapter there, it's like stop and think before you step on it. <laughs> stop and think before you make your rash judgment. Stop and think things through. And it's, yeah, just good. good stop and think. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Oh, that's tremendous. That's great. Bob? Well, you know, um, Pastor Joel recently preached a message about um, understanding and the, the smell and God, you know, yes. Jesus. And, and he rattled off while he's preaching, talking about books. And in a matter of like five minutes, just off the top of his head, he, he rattled off, I don't know how many, and I started feeling. So I wasn't, I'll, I'll be honest here, I wasn't much of a reader. Uh, I think I checked, you know, you mentioned reading that one book a couple times a year. I think I checked out Charlotte's Web about eight times in eighth grade. <laughs> and that was like the last great novel I ever read. I mean, I think I identify with Templeton the Rat. And I've got some sequels for that guy. You should go hit every county fair across the country. Or, But uh, I wasn't much of a reader. And I'll tell you why. This is why. I, you know I'm a science yes. kind of guy. You're a scientist. You I'm a, uh, I couldn't read. I, I'm, I'm, I kid you not. Unless I had a pencil in my hand. Because I was so used to math books and chemistry books that I'd always be calculating and doing stuff. So I was a very slow, slow reader. And so books, I just, you know, just couldn't get through them. So I was never much a reader. But I, but there, there are a few books I liked, Great Expectations, like Charles Dickens. There's a few. Um, but I, I wouldn't call myself a reader. Uh, I need to read more. And uh, so that's, that's my confession there. So. Well, it's, reading is, uh, I will say this to anybody out there in podcast land. The greatest thing you can do for your kids, little kids, have books in your home. And I know it's a computer world and, and it's and it's Game Boys and it's this and that. But if a if a child, if you get them where they're reading young, it will throw them so far yes. ahead yes. in so many areas. Yes, um, it it's just unbelievable. And yes, Pastor Joel Booker, <laughs> as is his brothers, they are they are the reading machines, and you can tell as, as the preach and teach. But we, we have taken that advice. My grand, there, I have some yes. of them that do love to read, and we yes. do have a bunch of you books. So, they're, so, right. that, so it skipped my generation, but it went on to them. No, you, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. If there was, um, if you were going to give a gift to somebody, and it would be a book, what book would you give? Take a moment and think about that. Um, and uh, Charlotte's Web is a good book. <laughs> There's a lot in that. Uh, so that's good reading. And once again, Tale of Three Kings, I, I've read that a number of times, and that is on the recommended list. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to find the audio book of that one. <laughs> if I was going to give a book yeah. to someone today, I think it would be What a Difference a Line Makes. Oh, oh that touches my heart. <laughs> that's great. How many yeah. languages has that one been? I think it's seven now. Seven. Yeah. Wow. I think when Brother Platania did it, he became number seven, as That's far as in it, now it's in Italian. So I think it's seven languages. So seven far. languages. What a what a what a tribute to the Lord. Oh, God's merciful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that's a great question. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what the answer would be about the single book. Um, you know, Brother J.T. Pugh's book, For Preachers Only, yeah. was very profound. Very good. It, it, very, it gripped me tremendously. And um, Brother Nathaniel Wilson, Wilson's book, In Bonds of Love, is an excellent book. His, his present one, Pentecostal Theology, I have it, and I have not read it, but I'm taking it with me in the motorhome so that I know when I'll have to be alone without interruption and have my phone off, etc. as I start swimming those waters. But everybody that I know that has read it state that it is utterly profound. You got to stick with it and, and let your mind get into it. And they say it's, it's, it's will rock you profoundly. Now, is that a textbook they use there at the college up there? Or uh, it, it is for sale? Oh, definitely for sale. Okay. Definitely for sale. And, and I know the material that's in it is used across the board um, in, in many, many regards. But I'm not that, I'm speaking, I'm bragging on a book I've not read yet. I'm oh. just, <laughs> which is like, how do you spell stupid? But that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you know, uh, they, they say never trust a preacher that says I'm not gonna preach long. Um, but this podcast, Unfortunately, we're going to have to wind it down here because uh, in a few minutes here, we're going to get to hear uh, Brother Sandy preach for yes. us again. We're looking forward to that. But I, I just want to thank, I, I, I'm honored to be here and honored to get to finally meet you. I don't think you've been to our church yet, have you? Or maybe I missed it. But anyway, we're excited. And now that now maybe you're traveling around, we we'll hope to see you again. Yes. And we just want to thank you for, for being here today yeah, and this week. We have enjoyed it. Thank you very much for the invitation. We've loved it been a wonderful wonderful time and I will say this as we close you guys are doing a great job with this podcast they are. you really are all of you and I'm very proud of you and I thank God for you and I mean that thank you Bishop for those kind words and thank you brother Sandy for joining us on the podcast today for those of you who like to leave any comments or questions please feel free to email us at podcast at inlandlighthouse.com once again, that's podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. I'm Danny, and we'll see you on the next podcast.